0: Our gospel lesson this morning is from the gospel according to Luke, the 13th chapter, verses 10 through 17, and now, the word of God, the he being referred to here as Jesus. Now, when he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath, and just then there appeared a woman with a spirit that had crippled her for 18 years, she was bent over and was quite unable to stand up straight. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said, Woman, you are set free from your ailment. When he laid his hands on her, immediately she stood up straight and began praising God. But the leader of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had cured on the Sabbath, kept saying to the crowd, There are six days on which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be cured, not on the Sabbath day. But the Lord answered him and said, You hypocrites, does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger? And lead it away to give it water? And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for eighteen long years, be set free from this bondage on the Sabbath day? When he said this, all his opponents were put to shame, and the entire crowd was rejoicing at all the wonderful things that he was doing. This is the word of the Lord. We have here Jesus being scolded by some of the people around him for healing on the Sabbath day. And it's with that idea of Sabbath that I want to linger a little bit this morning to think about that idea of Sabbath and what it meant in Jesus' day and time and maybe what it means for us too. The idea goes back to Exodus 20. There we find the Ten Commandments. Just to make sure we're all on the same page, the Israelites were in the wilderness. They had been freed from slavery in Egypt And they were taking their long 40-year journey from Egypt to the Promised Land. And while they were in the wilderness, Moses went atop Mount Sinai, and God gave him the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments, therefore, served as the foundation of the law. That law, in this case, meaning God's covenant with His people. Everything else He gave them, as far as do's and don'ts, all those things you read about, and the first five books of the Bible as far as law are rooted in the Ten Commandments. If you've ever taken that ambitious task of thinking you were going to sit down and read your Bible cover to cover, and you probably did okay until you got to Leviticus, well, all that stuff that you had to struggle through in Leviticus is rooted in these Ten Commandments. Everything springs from these Ten Rules that God gave His people. And one of those that is at... Jesus is responding to and the synagogue leader are responding to today comes specifically from Exodus 28 through 11 from the 10 commandments a part of the 10 commandments and he says this in Exodus remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy six days you shall labor and do all your work but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God you shall not do any work you, your son or your daughter, your male or female slave, your livestock, or the alien resident in your towns. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested the Sabbath day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and consecrated it. So there, all the thinking, all the stuff that had been applied to the Sabbath is rooted in these verses, the idea of Sabbath. The seventh day that, according to Genesis, God created for six days. And on the seventh day, he saw his work, he called it good, and he rested. And as such, it came to be that the seventh day, what we call Saturday, came to be considered a day of rest, a holy day for all of Judaism, so holy that no work at all should be done on the Sabbath. And to let you know just how seriously that idea is taken, if you go to Israel today... Well, not today. Today's Sunday. If you were there yesterday or this coming Saturday, you would notice that even though in Israel only about 20% or so of the Jewish people there are observant, they still have Sabbath elevators. It's work. I heard some of you giggle. You've been there. It's considered work to walk upstairs, and it's also considered work to press an elevator button. So every hotel and every public building has one elevator that stops at every floor, all the way up and all the way down. So if you're in a ten-story building, you want to make sure you don't get on the what I call the kosher elevator. Otherwise, it's going to take you a while to get where you're going. But it's a, that serious an idea that you shouldn't work on the Sabbath. None at all. And as Christians, uh, in the... Uh, it's really a, a Reformation idea, so something relatively recent in the last 500 or so years of the Christian church that some Christians have begun to apply that idea of Sabbath to Sunday. Sabbath is the holy day of, of Judea, it's Saturday, the Sabbath, the holy day of Judaism. And so many Christians began attributing some of those same things to Sunday, the Christian holy day. And some of you, if you grew up in a certain place in time, know exactly what I'm talking about. Do you remember blue laws, that's what it's all about. Many Christians came to apply that to such a degree that there's a story in my family of my father, who I think some of you know is also a United Methodist minister. I was so little, I don't remember this happening, but it's one of those stories that's been told so much you can still see it happening. You know those stories. My dad had gotten called out on a Saturday night for a pastoral emergency. He had to drive down a dirt road in his car. Well, it looked like what happens to your car when it's been raining and you drive down a dirt road. Well, Sunday afternoon, he had a funeral. And I don't know if you all know, but the pastor's car is the one oftentimes in front of the hearse. He felt like he could not, he could not, under any circumstances, drive that muddy car in a funeral procession. Which meant, one thing and one thing only, he had to wash his car on Sunday. And we lived next door to a man who took the Sunday prohibitions of work very seriously. And so my dad pulled the car on the other side of the house from our neighbor. And he kind of hid behind a bush. And if he didn't see any movement over at their house, he'd spray his car. And he'd go wash a little bit. And he'd go hide in the bush and spray it off from the bush. And he said it didn't exactly get washed, but it got done. Sort of. People took it that seriously people and even that's you know so long ago that i was little but even more recently in my first appointment i was in a small two point charge we say in the methodist world two little country churches that shared a pastor and even then i was only part time while i was in seminary and at the larger of the two churches i had a bible study on sunday evenings and i'm just sitting around visiting and talking with people before our bible study started and Um, We were talking about Ellen and I were both commuting weekly back and forth to Atlanta where I was in seminary. And I was talking about all the things I had to get done before I could leave after Bible study to drive back to Atlanta. And I said, but I already washed clothes, so I'm okay. And they all laughed. And I didn't understand why washing clothes was funny because I didn't enjoy the task too much. Then I said, why are you all laughing? And one saint. Said, "You expect us to believe you wash clothes on Sunday?" That was funny. I'm like, "Are you not supposed to wash clothes on Sunday?" And they was like, and and, and then there was some mumbling around the table and some gossiping about why the pastor washed clothes on Sunday. I said, "No, no, the ox was in the ditch to use the expression else found elsewhere in scripture. It was either that or wear dirty clothes." And they commenced to correct me on why I should have just thought ahead to wash clothes on Saturday. And that idea was taken so seriously by some even Christians that it was not until about a year ago, and I was living in Charleston at the time, that I had a car like my father's that was dirty and needed to be washed. And I finally just said to one of my neighbors after church, I said, do you think anybody would gossip about me if I washed my car on Sunday? And he said, why would they do that? So I washed my car. And ever since then, I felt okay with it. But some of you, do any of you relate to that sort of thinking? That we used to, That used to be very prevalent? To me, it reached its highest point. Not long before I entered ministry, I was living in Greenville. Ellen and I were living in Greenville, and we were in a grocery store. And a man approached us, and he was asking where he might find a certain clear liquid that you can only buy in stores that have red dots on them. And we told him, you you, you can't buy something like that in a grocery store. And he's like, well, why not? And I'm like, well, I, I don't know. You just can't. He said, well, where would I find such a store? I'm like, well, there's one in this shopping center, but it's closed now. It's too late. Because I heard they closed at a certain hour. And he said, well, what time will they open in the morning? I'm like, well, it's Saturday. They're not opening in the morning. They closed all day Sunday. They won't be open again until Monday morning. The man thought I was lying to him. He was from out of town. He was like from way out of town. And he, he, he did not think I was telling him the truth. And I'm convinced he went home and told people about the inhospitality he experienced in Greenville on his trip. But it's not a foreign concept to some of us. It's not a foreign idea that, that, that Jesus would heal on the Sabbath and people would have a problem with it when we think about some of our own context. For many of us, that sort of thinking, that sort of opposition that Jesus is wrestling with is not new and it's not foreign. Let's put what we see happening here at the synagogue on this day in Jesus' ministry and in his life in its larger context. Earlier in the Gospel of Luke, in chapter 6, verses 1 through 5. We see Jesus is walking along and he's with a group of people and he's walking by some wheat and he reaches over and he plucks some grains of wheat, the ear of wheat, whatever you call the top of the stalk of wheat, the part you turn into bread. He pulls that off, he takes it between his hands and he grinds it like this and he eats it. Now, what you were to some people might look as he's just absentmindedly pulling at a Stalk of grass as he walks by to those around him. He's doing all this on the Sabbath, and he has technically broken Sabbath law. He's harvested grain and he's processed it and turned it into food. He's broken the Sabbath law. To say in paraphrase how Jesus responds to his challenge, he says, Is it legal on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil? To save life or destroy it? Immediately in the next set of verses, verses 6 through 11, Jesus heals a man with a withered hand, also on the Sabbath. And there were people there who didn't like it at all. If we flash forward to the verses I just read, we see sometimes when I read Scripture, particularly narrative like this, I I like to imagine and as I try to understand it as if I'm watching a movie, how is it playing out in my mind? And I imagine the woman who has this ailment that has her bent so severely that she's not able to stand up straight. She enters the synagogue and it doesn't appear that anybody's paying attention to her. You'll notice she doesn't call for help. She doesn't approach Jesus seeing only, able only to see the feet of those around her To see only the floor and what's right above it, she hears a voice, Jesus' voice, calling for her to come to him. Where he speaks words of healing, where he touches her, where she is healed. She stands up straight. I can see if I were the director of this movie, I don't know if I would have her shoot up straight immediately or stand up slowly. Whichever one you like better. Imagine that one. But when she stands up, she throws back her head and she starts speaking words of praise. Praise for the healing of God that's worked through Jesus for her. Something, if we look closely, we see she didn't seek, but that Jesus, as the presence of God with her, nevertheless offered her. I think we should note also that Jesus, we're told in these verses, is teaching in the synagogue. The word teaching is mentioned three times here, that he is teaching in the synagogue. This act of healing should not be diminished, but it is cast in the context of teaching. A woman in need comes among them in the midst of his teaching and he heals her. I think the Sabbath law here that are, that's emphasized is worthy of our attention. Two, because the leader of the synagogue, notice how he uses the word ought. O-U-G-H-T, ought. He points to the healing. He points to this miracle that's been done in their midst. He points to this and he says they are six days, paraphrasing Exodus, he says there are six days on when work ought to be done. Jesus responds by saying, well, who among us on the Sabbath day doesn't untie his donkey or his ox and lead it to the trough? Little as you think about Christians' understanding of Sabbath through time, do you know why the traditional time for worship is around 11 on a Sunday morning? It was about as soon as a farmer could get his animals seen to, milk cows, etc., get cleaned up, get dressed, and be in worship. Working on the Sabbath for some purpose is not a foreign concept. Jesus' act of healing here was obviously a problem for the leader of the synagogue who was responsible for the faithful reading of the law and worship. But it wasn't a problem for most of the people there. In addition to seeing a miracle happen, in addition to, to responding to the work of God in their midst, I think they heard Jesus' argument, one that would have been familiar to them. Amy Jill Levine, who is pretty much the only Jewish New Testament scholar in America, points out that the worshipers wouldn't have had a problem because they would have understood this, what Jesus was doing in the context of teaching that it would have been an old Hebrew way of making a logical argument where you make an example in something smaller to prove a point for something larger, something small, the care for your animals. You'd take care of your donkey or your ox, wouldn't you? Yet, the the lesser to the greater. But here is a, a human being, one of us. Why would we not offer her healing on the Lord's Day, on the Sabbath? If you would care for your animals on the Sabbath, why would you not do this for someone in need? He shifts the argument from what is legally permissible, which is what the synagogue leader is focusing on, instead to what are the obligations of the Sabbath. Instead of reducing the idea to what you should or shouldn't do, Jesus is saying, yes, but on this holy day, on the Lord's Day, what should we spend our time and energy worrying about? Sabbath worship, in Jesus' context, is not about working or not working. It's about remembering and celebrating God's liberation of His people from slavery in Egypt. I think that's why the Ten Commandments are are specifically mentioned by the synagogue leader. It causes us to think back to God's mighty acts of liberation and salvation for His people, the Israelites, as He led them out of slavery in Egypt. The leader of the synagogue himself is reminding the crowd of that theme of Sabbath worship, of synagogue worship. And Jesus then is reclaiming that meaning. That this is not a day for us to just say what we should or shouldn't do. Rather, this is a day to celebrate God's liberating, saving acts. All right, let's circle back to Christians and Sunday is Sabbath again. Because this is our holy day. This is the day that we Christians remember the saving act of God. We should remember it every day, by the way, but this is the day we set aside for its special observance. We worship on Sunday because it is a weekly celebration of Easter. Every Sunday is a miniature Easter, it's a weekly celebration of God's saving, liberating acts in Jesus Christ. If you ever wondered why we go to worship on Sunday, now you know. Even so much so, you'll we take this so seriously. If you pay attention in a few months when we get to Lent, you'll notice that we don't say, we say, for example, today is the 11th Sunday after Pentecost, or when we get to Easter, we'll say something's the 7th Sunday of Easter. We'll say that we'll give a season as we number our Sundays. But if you'll notice, we'll have a first, second, first Sunday of Advent. But when we get to Lent, we don't have Sundays of Lent. We have Sundays in Lent. Because Sunday is Easter. Sunday is the day of resurrection. Sunday is the day of celebration. We take that idea so Seriously, that even when we count the number of days in Lent, if you count the Sundays, you're going to wind up with more than 40. We don't count the Sundays because each Sunday is a weekly celebration of the saving, liberating acts of Jesus Christ. Jesus is reminding His first audience of that here. And by extension, we who have applied Sabbath symbolism to the Lord's Day, to Sunday, can draw the same conclusions. That Sunday worship, Sunday celebration has its Sabbath symbolism. Not so that we make sure we don't do something we shouldn't have not have done, but instead to remind us that whatever we do on this day should be focused towards celebrating the saving, liberating work of God in Jesus. If we connect that idea with this poor disabled woman we read about in the Scriptures this morning, as I asked you to point out, she did not approach Jesus. Jesus sought her out. He chose her. And in the act of healing, He challenged those who would interfere with her healing. He challenged those who would interfere with the true meaning of celebrating God's presence among us. You know, she's not named here. Yet, Jesus calls her a daughter of Abraham. He names her, He heals her, He restores her health, and He delivers her to the community. So I guess we should ask ourselves, who are those daughters of Abraham in our community in need of a ministry of healing and presence? Who are the ones who cannot look up and see anything because they're held down by experience of violence? Who are the ones whose backs are bent from caring for others? Who are the ones that nobody notices? Like Jesus, we are involved in healing when we invite those on the edges of our community to the center. When we reach out in the love of God to bring a word of hope. To bring a word from God. What would it look like if we recast the Sabbath, the Christian Sabbath, Sunday, As a day of holy work and practice of faith. Sure, I I do think rest is important, by the way. And I think it's important that we create time in our lives for rest. But Sabbath rest is not an excuse to be lazy. Sabbath rest is rest with a purpose. And let me just say, I think everybody needs a lazy day now and then. So if you take one of those, it's okay. But Sabbath rest, holy rest, is rest with a purpose. A rest that gives flesh to faith. As a practice of faith. What would it mean if Sabbath becomes a day of holy work? What would it look like in our lives? To what holy work might God be calling us? And to what kinds of practices might God be drawing us? As we sit with this idea of Sabbath. Let's not get lost in the legalism of it. Because if you come down Wisteria Drive this afternoon, there's probably a 50-50 chance I'm going to be cleaning out my gutters. And I'm okay with it. And I know that my grandmother in heaven who would disapprove is now okay with it. Both of my grandmothers are in heaven, by the way. It's not like one would approve and one would think it was funny. But what I'm getting at, is this day should free us. Free us to do the work of God in our community, and wherever we find ourselves. Today should be a day of celebrating God's freedom, God's salvation in Jesus, for our benefit and for the good of those around us. Let us pray. O Lord, May we go forth into the world with rejoicing, sure of the healing you offer. Inspire us to share your good news with all, seeking those who feel unknown and forgotten. Help us to be strengthened in our faith and trust in your goodness. Make us people of your healing and lead us to your holy work. We pray in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen.